Middle East, Al Monitor's podcast on the big stories in the region. My name is Ambrun Zaman, and today I'll be focusing on Turkey's bumpy ties with Israel. Relations between the region's two most powerful non-Arab states have been precarious ever since Turkey's president Recep Tayyip Erdogan rose to power in 2002, ending a period of intense military cooperation under his secular predecessors. Although trade between the two countries continues to flourish, on the diplomatic front, relations have soured anew in the wake of Hamas's October 7 attack on Israel. Erdogan insists that Hamas is not a terrorist organization, but rather liberators, acting in the interests of their people. He has yet to condemn the mass killings of Israelis by the group. Turkey's ties have come under closer scrutiny by the United States, but Erdogan continues to advocate on Hamas's behalf. With us here to discuss the implications of Turkey's stance is Alan Makovsky, a senior fellow at the Center for American Progress, who is arguably one of the best informed American analysts of Turkish affairs. So welcome to our program, Alan. It's great to have you with us again. Great to be with you, Amber, always. So we're here to talk about Turkey and Israel. And my first question to you is this. Do Erdogan's comments on Israel matter beyond Turkey's own borders? And if so, why? Hmm. Interesting question. Well, um, I think they certainly matter in Israel, for starters. Um, I, I think Erdogan has certainly played himself out of any possibility of of, of uh, performing the mediator role that he projected for himself uh, in his early statements after October 7th. Um, I think they matter in Western Europe, uh, where Hamas is a terrorist group uh, by the reckoning of the EU. Um, and I think they matter for the U.S. government, which um, just uh, did a fourth round of sanctions uh, on Hamas operatives, um, three of whom in the latest round are based in Turkey. Um, and great concern has been expressed by uh, the senior treasury official, Brian Nelson, who was just in Turkey, um, about the various uh, economic enterprises that Hamas uh, is able to carry out in Turkey, it's holding companies, investment companies, uh, a variety of things were listed. Um, and he said it would be a shame if a uh, future terrorist action were linked to finances from Turkey. Um, and I think all of this resonates with uh, the U.S. government. Um both executive and legislative. Uh, the executive branch has largely ignored Erdogan's offer to be a mediator. Uh, I'm talking about the White House now. The first time Blinken went out to the region, he didn't go to Turkey. The second time he did. Um, but Erdogan apparently was miffed at him and didn't meet with him. Um, and I think they will matter quite a bit in the U.S. Congress. Um, 
we know that this F-16 sale has been pending for what now feels like forever. Um, it was seemingly linked strictly to uh, Turkish ratification of Sweden's bid to join NATO. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if his if Erdogan's statements on Hamas, calling it a resistance uh, organization, and Mujahideen just trying to defend their homeland, um, uh, complicates that sale. Um, it's very possible. Um, and just written more generally, look, I think there's there's always been a variety of schools of thought about Erdogan. He's a complicated guy. Um, he has, he, sometimes people say, well, he's a pragmatist and whatever he's, the, whatever he says about the Middle East, it's um, either for the sake of, uh, of leadership uh, of the Islamic world or it's because of domestic politics. Um, and other people say, no, it's primarily because of his own personal ideological predilections rooted in a Muslim Brotherhood type of outlook. Um, so uh, I think the scale has now tilted towards the latter. And then just very lastly, because your question was, does it matter anywhere outside the borders? Of course, it matters in the uh, in the Arab world. And I think for the Arab street, where many people respond to um, Erdogan's outbursts. Well, of course, um, the Arab streets, absolutely, and I've been witness to that, and I've seen in places like East Jerusalem just how very popular Erdogan is, and among Somali taxi drivers in D.C. Um, but the question of whether he actually believes in this stuff or not is being debated. First of all, do you think this is very much part of his wealth, you know, his worldview and if so, uh, does that matter? You know, I, I, I know what Feldenstein makes. Of uh, course, <laughs> I know you do, but maybe uh, the audience doesn't, and yeah, I probably yeah. mispronounce. I'm a provincial probably. Midwesterner, but I've read across that term. Um, yeah, I that's how I have tended to see him, and you know, you and I have discussed this before. Um, I think that's what he believes because. Um, his reactions are often well beyond um, what would seem to be needed for a calculated response. I think he something he feels in his gut. Um, and uh, he does come out of the Mili Gurush tradition, as you know, which is the closest thing Turkey had to the Brotherhood. He's um, as we saw during the Arab Spring, he feels a great affinity for the Brotherhood. Hamas was spawned by the Brotherhood. And yeah, I think that's who the man is. And of course, we know of his great affection, admiration for Necip Fazl's Kısakürek, the Turkish nationalist poet, who was overtly anti-Semitic. But, you know, you refer to the possible effects in the Congress relating to the F-16 and of course, we also know that people who spring from that worldview also tend to believe that a Jews, quote unquote, control the world, you know, the Zionist lobby, 
uh, prevails over all and um, has the power to destroy countries and uh, organizations and individuals and their careers. Now, knowing that that's how they think, aren't you surprised that Erdogan has carried things quite this far? Or does this speak to the actual lack of any substantive response to any of Erdogan's sort of um, quote-unquote malign behavior, as some see it? I'm not surprised. Look, I I think very early on, um, going back to the famous Davos incident in uh, February 09, um, we saw that Erdogan felt that um, he didn't need support from, how shall I put it, by from the pro-Israel lobby uh, in order to do, in order to conduct effective relations with the United States. I think, you know, he saw himself as a taboo breaker. And for a long time, Turks before Erdogan, including secularists, felt it was very important to get along uh, with the Israel, uh, with the pro-Israel community and the pro-Israel lobby in Washington. And Erdogan felt he could break away from that. Now, later on, I I think he has veered back and forth on that when we uh, <clears throat> when we saw his normalization effort with Israel. I think most of us thought that was linked to trying to send a message to the international community um, that he wanted to have stable relations with Israel and throughout the region uh, to make Turkey an attractive um, place for them to park their investments. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. Look, he's a complicated guy. So, no, I'm I, I'm not surprised uh, that he would feel comfortable enough to criticize Israel. And I, I would say, look, you know, criticizing Israel is, is part of a Milikarush slash Muslim Brotherhood uh, worldview. Um, but you haven't spoken to the reaction from from the West to to the consequences, to the lack of a reaction so far, and to my question as to whether you know part of this um, cavalier approach, because he's you know basically going way beyond what any other Arab leaders are saying. I I would argue on the matter and. It, of course, the images coming out of Gaza are horrific. But, I mean, is it also because he's getting a free pass or gotten one so far? I don't think he's getting a free pass. Look, I, I think there is a certain feeling in Washington, um, not only regarding this, but other things Turkey does, that uh, we're trying to preserve the relationship and we know he flies off the handle. He's an emotional guy. Um, keep an eye on the big picture. Uh, let's not unnecessarily um, uh, let's not unnecessarily royal relations with Turkey beyond where they already are. I mean, there's so many issues now that are piled up between the U.S. and Turkey that are. Uh, unresolved and seemingly unresolvable in some cases. Um, 
So I, I don't think people are giving him a pass. I think, look, uh, I think you'll, you are seeing it play out, as I said. I mean, he's been dealt out of the diplomatic game uh, that he greatly wanted to be part of um, between Israel and Hamas. Um, and I think you may, may see it play out uh, on the F-16 issue, as I said. And also, by the way, um, there was legislation passed in the House uh, uh, overwhelmingly, I think it was like 363 to 40, um, uh, about a month or so ago, to sanction um, countries that give material or financial uh, or other forms of support to Hamas. And I'm not sure where that stands in the Senate. Right now, all the focus is on the appropriations bill, which I, I know you know about. Um, but you know, that would certainly be something that could be used against him. But I think in general, it's it's reputational. Um, it's hurt him and it probably pushes the um, the notion of whether he is someone that the West can work with. I think it it hurts him reputationally and it makes him seem ever less pro-Western. But there seems to be quite a bit of hypocrisy going around. At the same time, Qatar is being hailed for its role um, in mediating hostage releases, etc. Um, even though we all know that Qatar is every bit as tight with Hamas. So what's going on here? Well, Qatar is delivering the goods. Um Yes, Qatar is closer with Hamas than Turkey. I don't think there's any doubt. And Qatar has been directly funding Hamas um, uh, with Israel's permission, by the way, at least the overt part of the funding. They've also been effective as a mediator uh, regarding the hostages. And if Turkey could deliver some hostages, I think Turkey would uh, would gain as well. I, I do find it kind of interesting um, in one of the other recent rounds of major fighting between Hamas and Israel in 2014, um, Qatar and Turkey presented themselves almost as a team. And I remember the Israelis were very upset, did not want them anywhere near the mediators role. They insisted that Egypt do all the mediation. And I believe John Kerry, um, either who was Secretary of State at that time, um, either went to meet with the Qataris and the Turks jointly um, in Europe or was planning to, and the Israelis protested vociferously. This time, Qatar is separated from Turkey. And um, in a way, it's a bit of a slap at the Turks uh, because um, Qatar has emerged as an effective mediator and one accepted by the Israelis, uh, whereas Erdogan is still on the outside looking in as far as anyone can tell. And why is that? Is that because Erdogan, you know, was out there with this very harsh rhetoric, whereas 
Qatar wasn't, or is it that Qatar is an Arab country at the end of the day, and one that can, you know, make these things happen far more easily than a country like Turkey, which isn't an Arab country. Yeah, in- well, look, I think it's a little of both. And, you know, um, uh, Ismail Haniya, the uh, the head of the political side of Hamas, um, lives in Qatar. Uh, the Qataris were giving money, um, 15 million, then 30 million a month with Israel's permission. Uh, to Gaza. Um, and that, by the way, just so your listeners know, they weren't handing it in the formal arrangement. They were not giving it directly to Hamas. Supposedly, they were using it to pay salaries of civil servants. But of course, that saved Hamas money. Money is fungible, as they say, and Hamas could use its money for other things. Um, and ultimately, I believe Qatar gave the money to UN agencies to distribute in Gaza rather than doing it directly. Um, But Qatar has had a more intimate involvement with Hamas than Turkey has. And um, look, I I think because of Erdogan's tempestuous nature, as well as the harshness of his rhetoric against Israel, um, I think Jerusalem just doesn't Israel just doesn't want him involved. He's uh, he's an unpredictable guy. Now, if somehow he was able to have some influence on Hamas that would deliver the hostages or a portion or some of the hostages, sure, then he would be in the game. I'm not aware of Turkey being able to influence Hamas uh, to do anything uh, that would go against Hamas's grain. I'm not. A, I don't believe Turkey has a great deal of influence on Hamas. Surprisingly, even though it has long-standing relations, we didn't go into the history yet. Uh, maybe we, I don't know if you intend to, but forgive um, me for interrupting. But then, what useful purpose if we also look at Erdogan's pragmatic side? Does it serve Turkey to have these relations, to have these people on Turkish soil inviting so much, you know, criticism, if not actual sanctions from the West? Why why then, if he can't even influence them? I I think there's a threefold explanation. First of all, it gives him stature in the Islamic world, in his view, and it certainly does give him popularity on the Arab street. Um, Second of all, I think it really does have a domestic political dimension. Um, Even though most of the people who are of Erdogan's outlook on Israel perhaps would vote for him anyway, that is who come at Israel from a religious point of view. Um, But, you know, I think back to the Mavi Marmara incident in 2010 and Saadet was an Islamist party to his right, still is, uh, though now inconsequential. Saadet was starting to create some problems for Erdogan. They were basically riding the anti-Israel issue. Saadet won 2.6%, I believe it was, in the 2007 parliamentary elections. And then they doubled that to 
five five point something percent in the local elections in 2009. Now that doesn't sound like a lot, but Erdogan, who was a member of Rafah, knows that Rafah under Erbakan also started as a little blip on the screen and grew and grew. And after Mavi Marmara, Saadet was never a factor again. So I do think he does use the Israel issue um, to basically protect his right flank. So there is that aspect. Um, so I, I think it does serve his, uh, his vision of Turkey as a uh, great regional power, and it serves his um, domestic political purposes. But basically, when he speaks the way he does uh, about Hamas is Mujahideen, um, uh, I think it's just really reflecting an issue he deeply cares about and reflects a worldview of Weltanschauung that is, um, you know, has been established for some time. And I think that's really the dominant of the three factors. We say, so what's the use? So it, it, bottom line, I don't think he's looking at it the way you do, that relations with Hamas have to somehow enhance his diplomatic status with the West. It would be nice you know, if he got dealt in as a mediator, but it's, it's not what is, it, it's not what is primarily motivating him. Okay, so given that he has these strong, passionate feelings about, you know, Gaza and Israel and the Palestinian people, then why uh, do we see this economic relationship with Israel persist, indeed, flourish, thrive? Why do we see, according to uh, open source data, um, we've seen uh, Turkish investigative journalist Metin Jahan, I believe he's called, dig it up, that his son Burak, his older son Burak, who owns uh, various uh, commercial vessels, is, is carrying stuff to Israel. <laughs> so what's that all about then? That's business. I think for Erdogan, business is its own special category. Uh, first of all, he inherited uh, from previous governments, uh, a free trade agreement with Israel, uh, which has really flourished. And Israel is one of Turkey's top 10 export markets. And I believe it's its number two ex market uh, in the Middle East after Iraq. Maybe this year UAE may pass it up. But, um, uh, you know, it's pretty important uh, and Turkey has a great trade balance with Israel. Last year, I believe they exported $7 billion to Israel and uh, bought $2 billion worth from Israel. Um, so uh, I don't think he wants to bite that hand. You don't really hear the Arab street or any of the Islamist parties um, demanding very loudly that it be that the free trade agreement be discontinued. I think one of Erdogan's, you know, greatest skills is is being able to convince his base of the merits of all the things that seem to fly in the face of their values and what they believe in. And, you know, 
I hear them explain it away as part of the bigger plan that ultimately will benefit the Ummah. So he, he's a master at that. Um, my final question. Well, you're right. You, you know, just, I'm sorry, just to comment on that. It was interesting. The most recent Metropole um, asked Turks, should Turkey cut their economic ties with Israel? And by 54 to 37, they said yes. Um, but somehow that doesn't resonate very much. And Erdogan perhaps uses the rhetoric as kind of fairy dust to throw in people's eyes um, so that they don't, you know, notice well, this econo no, also economic not relationship going on, which benefits, as you said, his own family, among others. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, but I mean, let's also not forget the media environment in Turkey, where there's no free media. So you only hear one view articulated most of the time. That's number true. Two, number but, two, if anyone took issue with those views and decided to organize en masse, I mean, in ways that directly threaten, attack the government, that's not going to happen either. So let, let's, you know, uh, footnote this conversation with, with those uh, facts. Uh, but moving on. Yeah, by, by, by the way, the only one, and again, correct me if you think I'm wrong, the only ones I've heard raise the idea of ending the free trade agreement with Israel is the secular left, which has used it basically to chide Erdogan. I don't think they mean it. But, you know, if you're the leader of the anti-Israel forces, why are you still trading so heavily with Israel? You know, why don't you put your money where your mouth is? That kind of rhetoric you get from the secular left. But, you know, I don't think you they mean it. I don't, but I don't hear any uh, from the Islamist right I don't hear any strong voices demanding that Erdogan cut the trade agree the free trade agreement. Well, I mean, you mentioned Iraq. As you know, Iraq has criminalized relations with Israelis. So it's again interesting that Iraq is such a big market for Israel. But yeah. my final question I, I do think most of that is is Iraqi Kurdistan, which yes, is indeed. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, uh, Iraqi Kurdistan, which can no longer sell its oil to Israel, uh, and that's a whole different issue. And yeah, and that kind of leads me to my last question, which is, as I said, um, even as Erdogan, uh, you know, ca uh, castigates Israel for its actions in Gaza, it's it's you know clearly not on a comparable scale. Uh, leading to the deaths of civilians in Iraq, in Syria, through its air campaign against the PKK. Um, and we also know that one of the biggest thorns in US-Turkish relations is this alliance between uh, the Syrian Kurds and the United States. Um, you know, this is supposed to be against uh, the Islamic State, this ongoing relationship. But I was just in the region, and I've heard many say that, in fact, especially since Gaza, it's more about Iran. Um, going forward, what do you think uh, that's going to look like, the shape of the U.S. engagement with the Syrian Kurds in the wake of October 7th, and how will that in turn affect, continue to affect U.S.-Turkish relations? Um, well, look, uh, I, I short answer, I don't really see 
a change coming up in our relation with uh, the Syrian Kurds. There was, of course, some uh, movement in the Senate. Uh, I think 13 senators uh, raised the idea of um, uh, US the U.S. pulling out of Syria, but it really, 13 senators is a pretty small minority. Um, the U.S. continues to believe uh, that ISIS is a problem, uh, continues to work with the YPG regarding ISIS. And as long as um, there are few to no U.S. casualties um, among our small contingent in Syria, uh, I don't really see it becoming a big issue. Um, and Biden is quite committed to it. Uh, I certainly don't see any change as long as Biden is president, which, you know. I mean, do you see the possibility of even an enhanced presence, given that, you know, Syria and Iraq have become a sort of proxy battleground for Iran with the United States? The Biden administration has certainly taken some heat for not responding uh, more vigorously, let's say, to um, the provocations, the attacks by Iranian proxies. Um, I don't think that the answer is going to be a beefing up of manpower in Syria, but likewise, I don't see us ending this relationship and I don't see the issue of our support, our cooperation with the YPG disappearing as an issue in our um, troubled ties with Ankara either. Well, thank you so much again for this fascinating conversation, Alan. And um, I hope to have you on our show again pretty soon. Thanks, Amber. It was a real pleasure. Always a pleasure to speak with you. And this brings us to the end of On the Middle East. We'll be off the air until January 2nd. For those of you who celebrate, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. And to the rest of you, a Happy New Year. May it be more peaceful than this one. Thank you and goodbye.